Welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. Those of you are here for our 10:30 service. We had a 9 a.m. service today. It was just a phenomenal time together. My name is Adam. I am the volunteer coordinator and one of the communicators here at Downtown Harbor Church. And I am thrilled to be here again as we are right in the middle of this eight week, it's going to be eight weeks of this stuff, which is great, talk, conversation, series, whatever you want to call it, called This Is True, That Is Real. And it's been such a cool time together. In fact, outside last week as we were talking and having dialogue and conversations, there were so many people who just said, you know, I've never thought about that before. That really impacted me. And I just have to tell you, some folks said to me after the first service, I just have to be honest and, and just say in front of everybody, Buckle up, because today is powerful. And they just kind of said that they weren't ready for the emotion and the, the power that kind of went in to what they experienced today. So just get ready, because it is going to be real and true. But one of the things we've been talking about at Downtown Harbor Church in this series, this is true, that is real, is the idea of truth. That we just believe that so many things are true, and we've been placing them over on this board. We've been talking about things that we just believe are true. And if you could probably sit down and have a conversation with us or talk with us, you would probably agree that some of these things are true as well. And that over the course of time that we have to understand that one of our goals in life is to get as close to the truth as maybe humanly possible. That we would like to have dialogue and conversations about true things and things that God puts out there and things that we believe and address those and talk about them. But we also believe that there's some cool things over here that are real. That yes, these things over here are true, but these things over here are real. And what about them? And one of the things we've been talking about, and we use this rubber band as an example, is the tension that exists there. The tension that exists between these things that are so true and so real. And how do we reconcile those? And what does that look like? So for the last number of weeks, we've been having this dialogue about these things that are true and these things that are real. And if you are new here and you haven't caught up on any of these things that I'm going to put up there, you can go back and listen on our website or go, you know, go check those out. And you can listen to them in your car when you're on a run. But we just believe a couple of things. We just believe this. We just believe that trust leads to stronger faith. We believe that that's true. We just believe that if you actually have trust and faith in a big God and you understand who he is and you believe him and trust in the Bible more and trust in the scripture, that we just believe you're going to have stronger faith. We believe that even though we don't understand a big God, that maybe we would unite our hearts and say to each other, yeah, trust at the end of the day absolutely leads to stronger faith. But here's something else that we believe. And this is, this is so true. We just believe that contrastly doubt leads to stronger faith. And I'll just tell you this, I, I so relate to this and I just believe this is so true because doubt is one of those things that as we step back and as we go, I'm not sure about that and how did that go that way and did God really do that and what about the things that I don't understand that the local church historically has kind of shunned doubt and pushed it away but we embrace doubt and we say, yes, we believe trust leads to stronger faith but we believe doubt leads to stronger faith. I just believe this, right? I believe that this is true is that you can know God. I believe that we can know God, that God provides a way for us to know him, that we can specifically, by embracing faith in Jesus and, and, and doing that, and then we can have a relationship with God, but the Bible teaches us about God, our experiences teach us about God, but contrastly, I also believe that this is true. Actually, that this is real. That yes, God is a mystery. That there are many things about God 
that we don't know, and really we're not supposed to know, and that's not an excuse, that's just this idea that we are human beings and God is this infinite, miraculous being that we don't really comprehend. Yes, you can know God, this is true, and yes, God is a mystery. I love this, right? This is so key. I just believe that you can become a Christian in a moment. That you can actually become a Christian in a moment where you can come in a room like this or maybe you're at your house or maybe you're in your car and you pull over to the side of the road. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe you haven't even done that yet. But I just believe that you can become a Christian in a moment. That in some way, shape, or form that there can be that moment in your life where you transition and you kind of turn the corner and you say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow after you and I'm going to search after you with my whole heart. And there's that moment where that happens. But I just believe it will take you forever to figure out what that means. I just believe that we are all on a faith journey. That we are on a journey together, walking through life together. And that even though you may understand that, yes, I can become a Christian in a moment, that you are going to struggle and you are going to get back up and you are going to get knocked down and you are going to be resilient. That this just doesn't happen in a moment. And there are going to be things that you don't know and that you don't understand and that we are going to take forever to figure out what that means. And I just believe there's tension there. I believe there's tension that exists between these things in life. And what the local church has historically done is what we've said is we embrace this, but we don't really necessarily know what to do with this. And so there's somewhere in the middle where we're going to have a conversation over these next number of weeks. And the one word that we've been saying to all of these things on this stage is this. Yes, we just believe that yes, these things are true, and yes, these things are real. And today's is really, really powerful, as I mentioned. Today's going to allow you to just kind of look deep into your heart and into your life. And today's going to allow you to maybe to step back and to have some introspective spirits about what God is doing through your life and where you've been on your journey. Because I just believe this. I believe that, yes, God has an ideal. I believe that, yes, God has an ideal. I'm going to put this here, and I want to talk about it for a second. I just believe that if we look at this word, this word scares some of us. Because what do you mean when I say an ideal? Let me explain. I just believe that God, this infinite being that we are trying to figure out, remember this idea about mystery and forever over here, this God, this infinite being, uses scripture, history, and the life of Jesus. God uses scripture, history, and the life of Jesus. Don't miss this. This is so important. To teach us how to live. To teach us how to live. Now, granted, hold, hold on a second. Let's step back. This is not saying that salvation isn't important. It is that Jesus is the risen Messiah. We believe that. We're with him forever after we move on from this earth. We believe all that here at DHC. But there is something so important that what happens when we look at the scriptures, history, and the life of Jesus, when we understand that God uses them all to teach human beings, don't miss this, to teach human beings how to live. He just does. There is an order and the way things should go because God, from the beginning of time, actually taught us how to do it. And when we look at that and when we understand what that is, this is an ideal. And we look at this and we say, yes, this is true. That you can have an ideal, that God has an ideal. 
And then what we want to do is make decisions over the course of time to try to reach that ideal and to get as close to the truth as we can. But there's a problem. And I love that phrase because there's always a problem. And what the problem is is that we know that that exists, but the ideal life is never reachable. No matter how hard we tried, we would never be able to get to God's ideal standard that we mess up, we screw up, we don't do things right. Maybe we've not done things right for a long time. We get down on ourselves. We keep making the same bad decision over and over and over again. The ideal life is never really reachable. In fact, the only person to ever live a 100% ideal life was Jesus. And we know that. We know that if we emulate him, as I talked about earlier, that we can try to get as close to the ideal right over here as possible, but that we're never probably going to get there. But we just believe over the course of time that, yes, this is true, that the way God teaches you to live is the best way to live life. In fact, I've said it like this a time or two, right? If you say yes to following after Jesus, your life will be better, and you will be better at life. Mark my words. It's true over the course of time. The way God teaches you to live is the best way to live life. 100%. So I started thinking about this, and I started thinking about the ideal, and I started thinking about, let's give some examples. Let's go deep into this. Let's talk about this for a minute. If we're talking about this is true, okay. Well, Adam, what do you mean? right? In terms of how do I apply this to my practical day-to-day? I know the Bible's filled with all kinds of advice, but what would you say? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's take a look at a couple of these topics. Let's take, let's take a look at relationships, okay? And let's, let's leave, uh, you know, romantic relationships out of it for the time being, even though I think that applies. Let's just talk about your coworkers. Let's talk about your friends. Let's talk about your family. Let's talk about people at the church. Let's talk about people on the street. Let's talk about hostess and host at restaurants. Let's talk about your server, your Uber driver, like all these people that we have relationships with, right? Some close, some not close. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 says this, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. I could literally stop the message right here and we could just all go home and move on because if we just did this, the entire world would be different, wouldn't it? If we just kept putting others first. But God gives us an ideal for how we should live. That's related to our relationships. Let's take it a step further. Let's look at money. Let's take a look at the ideal related to money, right? Like God has an ideal. What does this look like? Proverbs 22, verse 7. This is just one verse in the scripture. The scripture has so many verses about money and resources and finances. Proverbs 22, 7. Just as the rich rule over the poor, the borrower is servant to the lender. You know what this means? Get out of debt. Quit borrowing money you don't have and can't pay back. Pretty simple. Just as the rich rule over the poor, the borrow is servant to the lender. You don't want to be servant to anyone. Nobody does, right? Doing that is living up to the ideal. And the problem is, is that many of us have messed up in that arena. Our financial situation is a mess. Let's talk about behavior for a second. I think this is so interesting. Talked about relationships, money, right? Let's talk about behavior. This is really key. Let me just look at this. This is Old Testament, really Old Testament, book of Leviticus, right? Love the book of Leviticus, a real page turner, okay? And so is this what it says? It says, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. 
I'm going to read it again so that we all can we all understand this, okay? Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. So I have a, an 18-month-old. Her name is Elizabeth. And if you've ever had an 18-month-old, you understand the pain that we're going through in the home currently. Even though we love her to absolute death, but she is a toddler, and toddlers are everywhere. And so she's learning how to express herself and behave and or misbehave, and she gets a little loud. My wife blames it on me because dad gets a little loud, so she gets a little loud in terms of our personalities. But anyway, um, so, so one of the things that she's been doing is she's been kind of swatting at me or swatting at Caitlin or maybe swatting at the dog when something doesn't go her way. And so I've sat her down, and we have this thing that we do. It kind of relates to this verse. And what I've said is, okay, we're not going to steal. We're not going to lie. We're not going to deceive one another. Elizabeth, sit down with Dad, and because we're going to have a conversation. And so I want you to know this, what happens when you do these things, okay? So when we do these things where we misbehave, like you swat in us, what happens is you go to jail. And what you don't want to do is consistently be in jail throughout your entire life. Now, my wife steps back and she goes, you really think she understands that? And I said, it doesn't matter. So I ask her, Elizabeth, you understand if you do these things, you go to jail? Yeah. Okay, so she gets it. And, and, and so, but I'm trying to teach her these things. And so the truth is, is that the Bible talks about behavior. God's ideal talks about behavior. Do not steal, do not lie. Do not deceive one another. I love this in the book of Hebrews, speaking of behavior. Ready? This is so key. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. I've sat across the table, the coffee table, the bar, dinner, a lot of people over the course of time who have been cheating on their spouse. I have never heard one of them say, hey, it's going really well. <laughs> Things are really on fire. Like, our, yeah, I mean, she's happy, I'm happy, mistress is happy, like everybody's happy. Right? I, I've never heard that in my career. And maybe you have, and I'm not aware of it. But like that, So there's a reason. Because the, the Bible, this is going to ruin your life. There's an ideal that you're not living up to here. Don't, I wouldn't do that. I would not get that done if I were you. Love this one. This one's one of my favorites, right? Proverbs 23, verses 20 and 21 applies very regularly to this church and this organization. Here's what it is. Don't hang out with those who get drunk on wine. Or those who eat too much meat. I love that they loop those in together, right? The, the booze and the meat, right? Like, that's a really good thing. But anyway, so it goes on. Because drunks and gluttons will be impoverished. Their stupor will clothe them in rags. What I love about this is that this isn't God telling you not to have a good time. Because I believe a good time is perfectly appropriate. But he does say, hey, there's something about drunks and gluttons that when you go overboard, something bad happens. Let me give you an example. So at Downtown Harbor Church, our volunteers and staff show up about 6.45 every Sunday morning. And we stay till about 12.15 after we take all this gear, like put all this gear up and take all this gear down, all of our kids' gear, like our volunteers get a chance to do that. And one of the things that we get an opportunity to do when we're here that early is we get a chance to see what kind of damage was done around the museum on Himmershie Boulevard and beyond the night before. And oftentimes our volunteers, we got gloves and plastic gloves and bags or we go around and pick up the trash because the museum staff isn't early, uh, here usually that early. So we clean it up so everybody uh, can see a nice clean entrance when they come in. But every so often, probably about once every three weeks, there'll be a, what I would call a straggler uh, from the night before uh, who is hanging around, who has experienced drunkenness and glutton, gluttony and, and, and they're dead, like the guy we met last Sunday. And I'm not kidding. 
a guy who I don't even know that he knew what decade it was when we saw him at about 705. And, and he said to me, he goes, hey, man. I go, hey, man, how you doing? You all right? I don't know. I'm in bad shape. I said, well, we can see that and smell it. But he said, he goes, oh, my wallet, my phone, my keys, everything's gone. They stole them. I said, where'd you end? Where, where'd you wind up? He said, I was on that bench over there, and I just woke up. We put our arms around him, got him a ride. The museum security got involved and just tried to help him. But you know what? It rang true as we thought about this verse. Does that sound fun to anyone? Do you think that guy woke up the next day on Monday going, man, I would do that again? <laughs> Probably not. There's a reason, like, I mean, finding all of your items, and, and again, let me, let me echo this. I'm not saying don't have a good time. Go out and have a good time. We support that at DHC. Within reason, that's not what God's talking about. He's talking about the consistent errors that don't live up to the ideal when we do stupid things. Yes, God has an ideal. But there's a problem here. The problem is, is that we could address this and agree on it all day. Yeah, there's a right way to live life. There is. We believe that. We embrace it. But what happens when I don't live up to the ideal? What happens when I screw up? What happens when I've been screwing up for a while or a long time? Or it's become chronic? Because even though this is true, that yes, God has an ideal, I believe something else is true. In fact, it's real. I believe that yes, God uses broken people. I believe that yes, God has an ideal. And yes, God uses broken people. Now let me talk about this word for a second, because this word in this room just smacked some of you right between the eyes. Smacked me right between the eyes when I wrote this. Because I think this is so powerful and so true. Because so many of us, due to the local church and what we've become over the course of time, feel just like dispensable. Like trash that's been thrown out when we don't live up to the ideal. Because the local church is sure good at holding up the ideal and saying, this is what you need to do. But man, are we bad at understanding what brokenness looks like and embracing broken people right where they're at. Yes, God has an ideal. Yes, God uses broken people. Here's what I know about brokenness. And I want to be sensitive because I know that there's some of you in this room today who are broken. Or you've been broken. Or you will be broken. I know because I've been broken. Brokenness is real. And powerful. It's a very powerful emotion. When you've been spiraling for so long that you actually admit to yourself that you're broken. Or you stop and you, you take a step back and you go, wow, I'm actually broken and I need to get better. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to not live up to the ideal. I know that I've not done the right thing as I've been supposed to do, but I don't know how to get back there. And what's so sad about that? is that the local church, historically, has no idea how to address brokenness. We don't know what to do with it. We're great at telling people what to do. You should do this. You should act this way. Your life will be better if you do. Yes, all that's true. But what happens when it becomes real and somebody walks into a room and they go, I'm broken. I've been doing this for a long time and I want to stop. I want to be better. I want to help move in this direction toward things that are true and toward a more righteous life. What does that look like? 
Because the local church historically has no idea what to say to that. We just don't. Because the local church historically, over the course of time, has held up a picture. I want to show you the picture that we've historically held up. We've historically held up this picture. I like to call them the stock family. Stock images, that was a joke that one person went like, for, you know, I didn't sorry. But it's like the stock family. Here, here, they, here they are. Mom, dad, two kids. Great dental insurance, right? <laughs> white teeth, white shirts. You see this at Target as you walk through the aisles still. Like, this is what the local church has held up. And we said, if you don't measure up to this, then you're out. And if you think that that's not true, if you think he's over-exaggerating, the guy on stage, I personally have been witness to it. There are people in this organization who have personally seen it happen. Because what they say to people is, here is the picture of ideal. And if you don't measure up to that, we don't know what to do with you. Even though they say, you're welcome to come, you're welcome to sit in our chairs, but what if we want to engage and we're not the picture of ideal? What if there's been a divorce in my parents' past? What if we've adopted kids who don't look like us? What if we're on our second or third or fourth marriage? I don't know, and we're trying to get to this ideal. What does that look like if that's us? What if we're not that picture of that ideal family? What happens then? Well, look what church says, I don't know. We don't know what to do with anybody. And what we tend to say is, hey, just keep looking at that picture. Keep trying to get toward the ideal. And let's do this in the interim. Let's look at some families in the Bible, right? Because that's the ideal. Okay, let's just take a look at some history in the Bible. Like if you, okay, if you want to get to the ideal and you want to go back and step in those directions, let's take a look at some families in the Bible and what the ideal family looks like. Maybe we can point them in that direction. Have you looked at some of the families in the Bible? I would like to bring a few of them up for your review this morning, shall we say. Let's take a look at Adam and Eve. Let's call them the first family. Don't you love the photos I've chosen, by the way? Great fashion outfits, big fan. Adam and Eve, right? They were dysfunctional. What happened? Eve ate from the tree, and what did Adam do? Blames her all the time, right? Women have been doing it for a couple thousand years. They're still doing it, dysfunction. Let's not even talk about their kids. Move on to the next family, a man who we claim is a righteous man, Noah. And there's the big ark. A lot of times people ask me, Adam, what do you think of the ark? Right? I just keep going right over here. There's a lot of mysteries about God that I don't know. But I do remember when Noah was a righteous man, and they talked about him, that he was honored and, and looked up to by all, saved the world, saved the animals, his family, by putting him on the ark. Until he had way too much to drink. And took all of his clothes off and partied naked. And we say, that's Noah. He's our guy, right? Look at him. But we, don't, we like to leave out the rest of the story. What about, what about Joseph in the Old Testament? My favorite character, maybe in the entire Bible. Joseph with the coat of many colors. Have you ever seen that uh, musical, uh, Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? One of my favorites, actually. Really cool. Joseph, we say, look at that righteous stand-up man. Look at his family as an example. Oh, Joseph's family? Really? Let's take a look at them. 
The dad, Jacob, who picked a favorite son, Joseph, gave him a coat of many colors, to which his other brothers were jealous and decided to kill him. But then they decided that wasn't such a good idea. They would just act like they killed him in an attempted murder format, threw him in a well, and sold him off in slavery. That seems like it's going well. But we go, no, Joseph's family. Man, stand up, folks. What about David? Boy, don't we love to talk about David. We put this picture up of David and Goliath, right? We go, man, the young shepherd boy who would become king. And I love when Christian leaders say this because it's so true, but we don't finish the rest of the story. A, God, a man after God's own heart. Yes, he is. He was also after some ladies' hearts as well. There were some things he did on the battlefield that weren't really good. Ruined his entire life. But we put him up on a pedestal when we want to. You know what these families in the Bible were? Broken. And we stop before the end of the story gets written. And we just say, here's your ideal. Go ahead. But what happens when we get here? What happens when our lives are consumed with this? Because let me tell you this. If it's in the past, if it's in the present, or if it's in your future, I will guarantee you something. There will come a time in each of your lives when you experience brokenness. It's inevitable. If you have a life that hasn't experienced brokenness, then you have the ideal life, and that would be the life of Jesus. And guess what? That's not anyone in this room, which means brokenness is real, and we experience it. Therefore, we, the local church, and us individually have to figure out what to do with it. Because we don't know what to do with it. But here's what we tend to do historically, and the local church and people who attend have probably even locked arms on this, where they say, I'm broken, I can't engage there, don't know what to do, I'm disengaging, I don't care what happens to my life, it can go off the rails, it can go in a different direction, it doesn't matter because I can't be there. Well, let me tell you this, let me emphasize this, and this is where the tension comes in between these things. Being broken doesn't mean your story is over. Being broken, being down and out is not the end of your journey if you don't let it be. It can only be the beginning. Psalm 34, 18 echoes what I'm saying this morning. And it says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Psalm 147.3, it says this. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The local church hasn't really done this well. And we're okay with that because we want to get better together. We want other churches in our community to get better at this. This is why at Downtown Harbor Church, we talk about the tension. The church has historically thrown away broken people. The church has thrown away broken people, but I want you to know something. And this might be cliche, this might be preachery, this might be something that you may have thought before or heard before. Maybe you didn't and you're just hearing it today for the first time. The church has thrown away broken people, but God doesn't throw away broken people. And you know how I know he doesn't throw away broken people? Because I'm standing here. And you're in this room. That's how I know God doesn't throw away broken people. What he does is he takes their story, he restores them, and uses their story of restoration and redemption. 
God restores our hearts from the inside out. He takes our stories and he says, no, I'm not done with you. I'm never done with you. I love you and will never forsake you and will never let you go. And I'm going to use your story as an example of restoration and redemption to a broken world. Not you. You are my child. You are here to stay. You matter. Your story matters. Let's restore and redeem you. And that is what's so key and what is so important and what the local church has missed. I know this is true about God and how he views people, people who are broken, because of a story in the Bible. It's actually way more than a story. It's a life in the Bible. A life of the guy by the name of Peter. You probably have heard of Peter before if you've been around the church for any length of time. But if you're new to this kind of thing, Peter, let me tell you who he was. He was actually one of Jesus' closest disciples. Some argue the closest. And Jesus' disciples were the people that Jesus put around him on earth to be closest to him, to help carry out his mission once he died and resurrected and went up into heaven. Peter was one of Jesus' closest, closest friends. Additionally, after Jesus died, he was one of the most famous Christians to ever live. Somebody who we probably would not be sitting here today without him and his influence. But let me tell you something about Peter. Peter was broken. Wait a second, did you just say he was like one of Jesus' closest friends? And uh, he was the guy who Jesus maybe even helped choose to you know, forward the Christian faith? Yes, I did. But he was broken. And in the book of Luke, chapter 22, verses 54 through 62, one of Peter's broken moments is on spotlight for all to see. This is about to happen just as Jesus is being arrested and tried and is about to be crucified. You're probably familiar with these events that happened around Easter that we celebrate every year, even if you're not familiar with this text. And here's what it says. Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. Then they seized him and led him away, him being Jesus, bringing him into the high priest house. And Peter, the guy I'm talking about, was following at a distance. The scripture goes on. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Okay, Jesus is in big trouble, but Peter's sitting there. What's going on? Get to the point. Then a servant girl Seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him says, this man, meeting Peter, also was with him. That guy over there, he was with Jesus. Now Jesus was at this point a criminal of the state. Nobody wanted to identify that they were with Jesus, but surely his best friend, one of his closest disciples, somebody who would carry on the Christian faith, surely he'd stand by his side. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And then after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. 
I have no idea who Jesus is. I want nothing to do with him. I've never seen him before in my life. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Just as the scripture had predicted. And in that moment, Peter was broken. He was broken. At his lowest of lows. Imagine betraying your best friend and watching him die. Because if that doesn't create brokenness, I don't know what does. But you want to know what's true? God didn't allow Peter to stay broken. In fact, God restored his life and allowed him to become one of the most famous Christians of all time. Maybe right alongside the Apostle Paul, who would take this faith to an exponentially different level. Peter was restored, and if God can use him as an example in the Holy Scripture, right next to Jesus, one of the best friends of Jesus, then my goodness, man alive, he can use you. Right where you're at. Yes, God has an ideal. And we should try to get as close to that ideal as humanly possible. Absolutely, he has an ideal. Don't do stupid things, there will be consequences. I'm just telling you, when you like, because here's the thing. Yes, God can use your brokenness, but don't misunderstand this. When we do things that aren't in line with this, sometimes when we screw up, there are consequences. God does not promise that there will be no consequences. He promises restoration, but he doesn't promise that you'll be out of the pokey, okay? So like, just be real about this. It's, it's, we need to understand this. Yes, God has an ideal. And yes, God uses broken. Yes, God has an ideal. And yes, God uses broken people. So at Downtown Harbor Church, every single week we put a word on the screen. Because we just believe in this. We ask the question, what's the practical? Because we want you to come in this room and hear a message on a Sunday. And then put it into practice on a Monday. So we never want you to leave this room going, what the heck were they talking about? So we actually write practical steps each week for you to implement. Some of you take notes, some of you jot them down, they're online, you can take pictures of them, and we post stuff. But what's the practical this week? So as we talk about the ideal, the first thing is learn more about God's ideal. Maybe you're struggling through a situation, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's money, maybe it's marriage, maybe it's your job, maybe it's honesty, maybe, I don't know what it is. But learn more about God's ideal. It might be interesting to read the Bible or learn from other Christians about it. Because whatever you're struggling with, whatever is creating your brokenness, sometimes you need to learn more about it. Some of them are very easy and practical steps. What does that look like for you? Sometimes you just got to dive in and learn a little bit more about something. Learn what God says about it. Second thing is this. You want to reframe your brokenness. A lot of times people who are broken... Man, it's a pity party all around. And I get why. You've been through a lot. And you're going, how in the world am I going to pick myself back up from this one? How in the world am I going to do this? It's time to reframe your brokenness and realize that there is not only a church, but a community of people who are going to walk right alongside you and help you reframe that brokenness. Should you want it? Should you allow it? 
I hear from a lot of broken people, God's given up on me, he's done with me. Let me explain something to you. No, he has not. No, he's not. Here's the third practical. I think this is really important. If you're broken, tell someone. Tell someone. If you're broken, maybe you just need to talk with somebody. Maybe it can be somebody in this room. Maybe it can be a friend. Maybe it's your spouse. Depending on the issue, sometimes that can be really tough. I get it. Maybe, maybe it's a therapist. They've been busier than ever these days. Okay? Maybe it's somebody that you just need to sit down with and go, I, I, I got to get this out. I got I to gotta chat. And last but not least, if you're broken right now, for the love of everything holy, don't disengage with the church. I understand that you want to. I understand it's easy. I understand that you want to throw in the towel based on what you've seen, based on what you've heard, based on what you've experienced. But I know we have to give our brokenness over to God, not let it alienate us from God. Allow him to restore us. Allow him to make a difference. Allow us to re-engage. Because only when we are redeemed, only when our story of restoration and redemption is told, can people see God working through our lives. That's why the church exists. That's why people are here. It's not to toss people out. It's to say in this room, bring your brokenness. Bring it right here. When the time is right for you, let's go. Let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. And by the way, in the history of my faith journey, in the history of my life, this is the only organization I've ever been a part of that has permitted that to happen. And I've seen a lot of churches. This church is different. This church is unique. We want you to bring your brokenness right where we're at and allow God to restore and redeem your heart. Yes, God has an ideal. All day, he's got an ideal. Yes, God uses broken people. Let's pray. Father, for anyone who's broken in this room right now, I pray that you would repeat after me. God, I'm broken. I've been dealing with this for a long time and you know what it is. And I pray that you would restore and redeem my heart. I understand that it may not happen overnight, but God, would you come alongside me, surround me with your love and your grace and your peace. Allow me to seek after you in all that I do. God, for anybody who's praying that today, I pray that you'd help them just seek somebody out, friend, somebody here at DHC, somebody professional if it's at that level, and just talk, get it out. And God, may you let everybody in this room know that we are a community, a people that embrace brokenness, that they, it's okay if they bring it here because we want you to work in your infinite wisdom and power to restore and redeem lives. And God, when that happens, we'll be so quick to give you all the glory. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.